Warning, the following episode of Seriously Wrong was recorded in an unjust society. It may contain trace elements of hierarchy. everyone and welcome back to the seriously wrong podcast platforms of freedom series talking about technology freedom democracy and so on how social technology can make a more utopian society we wanted to do this series to talk about all of the different ways our current technological reality can be used to make social institutions that generate better outcomes for society and for people in society that generate more freedom and more social benefit. Yeah, it's not the case that there's some sort of like killer app or like new startup that's gonna like revolutionize and democratize society. And <laughs> there's there's this sort of like Silicon Valley disrupting it's idea like of technology. Printing, when the printing press comes out, there's gonna be one magazine that just like disrupts everything and <laughs> makes it all better. It's like, no, it's a there's gonna be different iterations of different things but overall having a printing press in general is a kind of revolutionary thing same thing for like internet like all this kind of computer technology information technologies etc but yeah it's not going to be like one app invented by a genius <laughs> social with an initial public offering yeah but we, yeah we have all these sort of like printing presses that are being made all the time all these sort of like innovations within both hardware and software technology that have created these really powerful personal computers that are like, in some cases, wearable or phones. And we have software catalogs within app stores that allow customizability of these things. There is potential within all of this, within all these technologies to sort of patch together new social technologies that are liberatory and beneficial. And we wanted to talk today about two of the key apps of the phones of the future, the smartphones of the future. There might not actually be smartphones the way we know them now. Like maybe this is actually a dysfunctional way of using technology. Time will tell. But I think there'll probably be sort of like app type things. There'll be general purpose computing. And the things that we're going to talk about today, I think, are part of a future utopian technologically enabled society. Yeah. Just quickly before we get to that, I wanted to like thank everybody who listened to the first episode and sent us feedback and ideas and especially examples of like already existing cool projects that are out there in this realm because there's so many things out there and we're going to try and cover a lot of that stuff in a future installment just putting that out there we're we're collecting it all and it's interesting and keep sending it and we're going to get to it. But yeah, for this episode, we're going to start with a thing we've brought up before on the show in various ways, but that I think is, it's like one of the key already existing potentials with this technology that is just being held back. Not even because we need to design the app for it necessarily, but just because it's like illegal. It's illegal to do this thing currently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, this is a foundational idea within the sort of library socialist canon. What we're talking about here is the, the universal library. We have the technological potential right now to have on your phone, on your computer, access to all of the writings, all of the books, and all languages produced by humankind, to have access to unlimited textbooks, unlimited documentaries or movies, access to music, access to human culture, 
All of this could just be a search away. It could be an app on our phone that's like the library. And we have a really interesting situation right now with the advent of this digital technology in our existing legacy libraries is there's this intellectual property regime that charges libraries, even though ebooks cost almost no money to reproduce electronically, they charge libraries more for them and they only let them lend out five at a time. But anyone who's familiar with like the control C and control V options on your computer knows that it actually having only five copies of a digital book artificially is sort of a bizarre, unusual thing in computers. And it actually takes a lot of technological development and innovation and money being spent by these companies to find ways to keep these files from being copied, to create the DRM. And what we propose is that there should be sort of a library socialist portal on the internet or on apps or elsewhere, where these restrictions are completely lifted for the purposes of human thriving and flourishing. We already have the technological potential to do this. The amount of human knowledge and experience and potential that would be unlocked by a move like this is, is hard to put into words because the amount of learning that people could do and the amount of like free access to information that they could have it would be revolutionary for society, for, for our collective knowledge, to have this access to information, to not have these artificial paywalls that keep people from accessing information. The actual potential of this library app portal that you can carry around with you or is on your home computer, it's a website, it's an app, it's just, it's the one big information library that you can access from any way that is convenient to you. It's just so huge. And it's even bigger than like, oh, every TV show is available or every book is available. Like you can have systems of layers of this kind of information. It's like if you want to check out trailers for a movie or like the best clips for a movie, like currently sometimes that stuff is on YouTube, sometimes it's not. But like each piece of media itself would have ability to have all these pieces of submedia. It's like, what's the Coles notes on this book? I, I want to read the summary of this book that is about one third as long. So it's like really in depth. It gets most of the stuff, but it streamlines it. Or I want to read the two paragraph summary. Like there's ways in which a really well formatted library could invite you to engage with all of the different content that humans have created throughout history on the level that you want to engage with it at that moment. Like if you want to have a quick skim through a certain topic, there's like easy ways to do that. And there's ways to see things that are linked, like everything that you can look at DOS Capital and find every book or essay or summary that's been written of DOS Capital and find the different perspectives on it, find the different ways in which people have interpreted and summarized it. That can all be just as easily accessible as the core text itself. And it can all be linked together and presented in a way so that it's easy to engage with these things at the level that you want to engage with them. And it invites going deeper if that's what you want to do, or it invites just skimming across the top of a whole bunch of different things. All of that potential is available and can be folded into this one universal library because library is not just about having every book or having everything. It's about making it accessible to people and making what's inside of it accessible to people in a way that's relevant to them. When you think about the benefits of curation done by like librarians or 
library assistants helping people to get the book that they want or the type of book that they're looking for, those types of dynamics. And I think in an ideal utopian system, you'd want to be able to sort of like get the aid and help of an individual, um, like one-on-one attention around what you're looking for, ideally. But you could also set up systems that, you know, the same way that Wikipedia pages are structured or other things, like where you have these collaborative environments, like you could have collaborative environments for librarian-style curation that are able to be developed over time. And basically, like the curation work of librarians can be something that is given institutional form that you can access the help of librarians without those librarians being present, or maybe even after those librarians are long dead and gone. That seems to me like a really utopian potential of when we open up the copyright sphere to the free development of digital libraries. The potential seems really, really staggering to me um, in terms of the ways that information can be structured to be accessible to more people and to make sure that people have access to the information that they want or need when they need it. And I mean, we're proposing this as artists, you know, and artists, we need to get paid under this system, but we also need access to art and the the access to art and the access to culture, that access to thriving, you know, like we might get a situation where there's not as many Metallicas who become like mega millionaires over their rock and roll music anymore. But you might also get more bands that are created from all the inspiration, from all the access to information and access to culture might spark that joy within more people and then produce more good music as a result of it. So even as a fan of Metallica, you can appreciate how access to Metallica might create more music like Metallica in the future. And it really does. And I think this is an important part to underline. This proposal doesn't just make everyone in the world richer. It makes us all richer than rich. It makes us all richer than the richest people on the planet right now. Let me explain. The richest people on the planet right now don't have access to everything, and they never will. There's books that have never been digitized. There's books that are not accessible. There's books that cost a lot of money even to look at right now. There's material right now that even if you're rich, you can't really access. But if you created a process of amalgamating and bringing together all the information and having everyone participate in it and putting the stuff all in the pot in one place and having it be that if you have access to something, you have the right to distribute it this way digitally to the cultural fountain, it will make everyone in the world richer than rich, more, you'd have access to materials that you just never would, even if you're the one billionaire on a planet full of poor people, you would still not have access to some of the materials that this library would have. So this is a proposal to make everyone on the planet Earth incomparably and indescribably richer. That's what the Universal Library is. Yeah, because it's not even just about the one thing. It's about all of it together. Like, even if you were so rich and you made it your mission to get these rarest texts or whatever that you love, it's still not the same thing of having it all together, accessible in one place where you don't have to spend $100 million to... <laughs> or 10 years searching. Yeah, or whatever. You can to... just breeze by, control F something, and then just breeze out, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all there. <laughs> That's the rarest text on Earth. That would, Under the capitalist system, that would have cost you $10 million to control F. Today's episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast is brought to you by The Abolition of the Dumpster. Oh, I still remember that day so clearly. I was walking down the street and they're loading up all the big, dirty, stinky dumpsters onto a truck to take them away. And I was just a kid and I ask, hey, what are you guys doing with these dumpsters? What are we going to do with our trash now? And they're, oh, you got to sort it. You can't just dump anymore. 
It's a political change. These receptacles are being brought to the receptacle library to be cleaned, washed out, and lent out in to people in need for non-dumpstering purposes. Made a lot of sense to me. For me, growing up really just a few years younger than you, I didn't remember dumpsters at all. It never made sense to me that there was just one place where you would just put things that you didn't want anymore that meant that they were going to a dump. But growing up, I did have family members who would think back fondly on how they used to love throwing away paper cups and how they wished that they could remove the plastic packaging from their items and put it in a plastic bag and then walk out of the building that they were in and throw that plastic bag into a dumpster. It was a weird ritual I guess people had fond memories of. You just throw it into the dumpster and it was like, oh, oof, it's gone now and I don't have it anymore. The playground down the house where I grew up had playground structures made from old dumpsters that had been repainted. There was slides coming down them and little uh, ladders up the side and whatnot. But it was all recycled dumpster. Recycled I remember dumpster, seeing that. Yeah. yeah, good memories of the... Yeah, crazy bit of history there. The end of trash cans, the end of the dumpster. An important step along the way. Sponsor of this episode. Steps along the way can sponsor episodes. Excuse me, who said a step can't sponsor? Uh, okay, yeah, back to the show. <laughs> <laughs>